The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Money is an awesome thing if you know how to handle it, the joy it brings. Welcome to Straight Talk, Clear Decisions with Rick Saylor and co-host Eric Hamburg. As an investor, you should know what you're buying and what you're really holding. We'll demystify investing and lay it all out for you in easy-to-understand terms. Now, here's Rick and Eric. Rick Saylor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. Well, I'm Rick. And I'm Eric. And we are your no-nonsense holistic wealth managers. Welcome to our show. Eric, uh, another Friday, love it. Sunshine's coming out, spring's breaking here in uh, the Midwest. It is. Getting a little chilly temperature. I had a frost, uh, frost warning last night. Frost on my windshield, and it's April 24th. Yeah, I, I pulled down the street, and I, one of my neighbors decided to have a blanket over his little tree he just planted. Got to save those cold. things. Got to save those things. That's another reason why I don't garden. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, besides the <laughs> fact that uh, plants usually, you've heard of people with green thumbs. I I have all brown thumbs. You know, Kim, my wife, is the is the plant grower. I thank goodness God bless her because she keeps the keeps those things green because anything I touch, I just don't have a clue. No. I don't know. I can barely grow grass. <laughs> and so it I'm, kind of grows I'm on learning. itself. I mean, that's kind of like a cruise control kind of item. I, I, I find it hard to believe. You know, I spend a decent amount of time in my backyard trying to grow my grass, put fertilizer down, put the weed control. And I asked my neighbor, I said, well, what do you do? Nothing. And his grass is green, and I'm doing all this, and mine's dying. So apparently, hey, I'm doing you know what? I don't. Wrong. I don't believe that. That's <laughs> like the person says, "Hey, can you give me that recipe?" And they give you kind of the ingredients, but they don't tell you the right amounts, and they always leave something out. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why yours tastes like dirt. That <laughs> you know, because I'll figure it out one of these days. Yeah, it's a mission. Well, hey, you let me know because uh, I've been working at this a long time. <laughs> I know. Last year, I had them just finally a couple of years ago. I had them just take out my front yard. From the construction because it was all packed, you know, impacted, and I tried all, spent all kinds of money, and I just had them say, "Hey, take four out in, four inches out, put topsoil in." Now this year, it looks probably better than it has ever. <laughs> uh, but I still got spots, and so anyhow, yep. But it's uh, right now. It's good, you know, we're going to get some rains and be good grass growing weather if uh, if it works out. Yep. I'm out there. Uh, it's one of those things I just keep trying. Well, your your golf league starts tonight, right? It does, and uh, Kim's still healing from her, you know, her foot surgery. So we're going to pass this week. Gotcha. Pick it up next week. I think I'm golfing tonight, though. I thought hey, you were too. Well, I was gonna... You're balancing out the universe, buddy. I'll try. And that's what we do. Well, you know, I love this. You know, we talk about being a holistic wealth management firm. People say, "Well, what in the world? What are you talking about?" You know, it's this idea that there's four pillars in our industry in the world of finance. Really, to simplify it, and. You know, having those integrated and working well together, we think is imperative. It's just, it's a smoother transition. It's just so much better when, you know, your investments, your tax planning, your insurance protection, your estate planning are seamless and they work together. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and again, kind of like Steve Jobs put together that system at Apple, 
It was an end-to-end process. He was mitigating the dysfunction. I just think it works better. And having just closed out my class, thank you up there at UDALI, that Social Lifelong Learning Institute. I love teaching that class. You guys were a great class, very attentive. You asked good questions. Uh, yesterday, they gave me a certificate, you know, when everybody signed. Nice. You know, it was very touching. Mm-hmm. But uh, some comments, you know, one of the things that was appreciated by one of the my students said, what a unique approach where you had all these, you know, professional providers come in. You know, we know we don't do we don't do taxes. We're not CPAs. We don't do estate planning. We're not attorneys. A lot of the insurance we're licensed for, but we don't do. There's not enough hours in a day. So we had specialists in every one of those come in and talk about those segments. And it was appreciated again. Mm hmm. You know, because we're not just trying to say, hey, we're a master or a jack of all trades and a master of none. In this day and age, you need a professional team that's that's really qualified and, and you capable you, of delivering. You hit it on the head there. It's a team approach. You know, somebody who thinks they can do every single one of them, I'm not saying they're not going to be good at them, but you can't, you can't be an expert. You can't be very good at one thing if you're doing multiple things. So it's a, it's a team approach, and that's why we focus on the wealth management aspect of it and let the other partners, the attorneys, the insurance agents, the tax planners, the CPAs, let them do their thing. We'll, we'll, we'll quarterback it and yep. be involved, but we're not we'll the ones heading it. it. So, I mean, I think about the wealth management. There's this debate that rages on, you know, fee-based or commission-based. I don't know what the discussion is about. Why don't we focus on you and your, your situation, and then we'll actually – once we find out what's broken, we just want to be part of the solution. Yep. And, you know, transparency, that's what we're about. You know, you should know what you're buying, why you're buying, what it's doing for you. And, and your advisor, no matter who you've been working with, should not be ashamed to tell you what it is that, they, that yep. they got compensated. But here's the other side of that coin. You know, fees versus costs are two different things. So the fee you pay is one thing. The first question you should be getting is, is asking I would be asking as a consumer is what can I expect to receive from this? Now, there's no promise or guarantee, but what can I expect? What's the experience been like in this? And then come back and say, okay, what am I paying? That's how you gauge whether something's a value, mm -hmm. right? But the fact that it should be transparent, if somebody's ashamed of that, you need to move on. You know, my favorite four-letter word, next. <laughs> <laughs> right? You thought I was going to say something else, I didn't did. you? <laughs> hey, this is a clean show. It's a Friday show. Just clean. The, one of the, the next pillar that we focus on or that we have our partners focus on is tax planning and preparation. So we've partnered with a few CPA firms here in our area. Um, but, you know, they do the, the preparation, which is mandatory. You have to file the return each year. But they also do the planning. The planning stage is they can go back two to three years to see how you filed and see if you made any mistakes. If you made a mistake, maybe an amendment is going to be worthwhile and you can go back and redo it. Or if you can't, we want to plan, start strategizing how we can't step on, how we don't step on that same landmine in the future. Um, exactly. Tax code's going to change. I know it's going to change. We know it's going to change. You got to have somebody who can keep up with it. Or you better be prepared to keep up with it. And if you're not in the tax world, it's probably not going to be something that's going to be too fun going forward. Hey, consider, you know, you got three years to do. Uh, remember when we were kids and something didn't work out right and you said, hey, I want to do over? Yep. We got three years to go back. And since we just passed tax season, it's a good thing to go back, you know, have a competent person do a tax efficiency review. And if you don't have access to that, call us or, you know, write us here. Um, you know, and we'll get that to you, but you can call in at 866-472-5790 
And uh, ask us a question today live on the show. If you're a little bashful, go to info at straighttalkcleardecisions.com. We'll get that feed and we'll answer your question in in the final segment of the show today. Yep. But uh, as I think about the next segment, uh, you know, wealth management taxes, I think about risk management. You know, it takes our entire lives to build up our wealth, but it only takes one mistake, you know. You know, it's like I we say we're fond of saying here, you know, you somebody you slip on a piece of ice and somebody hits you and they think they hit the lottery. You know, and they come after you with both barrels and their attorneys and, you know, litigation. So, you know, I love that commercial on TV. I think it's farmers where they're going to jump kids going to jump into the pool in the backyard and it looks like this giant pond and then it shrinks just before he hits it. <laughs> and you know, people who have accumulated wealth are what we're seeing is that they're getting insurance for the masses. So you may be high net worth people are overpaying for less coverage because it's just been kind of homogenized. So you want to make sure that you're, my recommendation, be with an independent insurance person and, you know, look at what you've got coverage wise and have that checked every couple of years uh, and make sure you're paying a fair price. When you say independent, what that means is not captive. So somebody who can represent more, Multiple, multiple insurance companies, companies sure. not just State Farm or just Liberty, which we don't – there's nothing against that, but it's like a, an all-star team. Not well, it's the one. same way we are. Exactly. Right? In the world of investments. We are registered investment advisors as well as under a broker-dealer relationship. So um, they call that duly registered, and we're insurance licensed. So it's really – we have every financial tool available to us, mm-hmm. right? So again, we're, we're focused on the solution and, and again, that holistic approach. That's how it should be. Um, and then the last but not, not the least is estate planning and elder law. So this is you, you've worked your career, you've saved your assets, you've grown your assets, hopefully. Now you've got to make sure your estate is in order so when the day does come, you do pass away, that your loved ones, they're the ones who get the majority of your assets, not the estate or a hospital or an attorney. So, you know, we work with both elder law attorneys that focus more on the Medicare, Medicaid, the spend down provisions and how you can kind of not get around how you can plan to keep some more of the money in your pocket. And then we also work with the estate planning. That's the, that's the, the, the big crucial one is make sure your loved ones get your money, not the courts and the hospitals. Right. So when you couple this all together, that's what holistic wealth management is. Yep. And it should be effective and you can measure the effectiveness. Uh, we work with our clients one year at a time. We're earning their trust. We're earning their confidence. And again, you know, you know, uh, look at what something, what the fees are, but certainly look at what, what the total cost is. Good. What, what are you getting for what you're paying? Yep. Go to our website, straighttalkcleardecisions.com. We've got a plethora of white pages and research reports, not just on the wealth management. Obviously, that's what we focus on, but it's from those other four pillars. we got risk management papers. We have uh, state planning. We have taxes. So get in there, um, you know, search around, ask for we got a free. we got some free giveaways on there. So, you know, spend some time and go through the website. You'll find a lot of free information that you can actually probably put to use almost right away. So today's topic, and we would be remiss if we didn't get our disclosures in here, that today's show is certainly, as always, it's educational in nature. Uh, It's not intended to be taken as advice or construed. Uh, Rick Saylor Financial is a RIA, and we are separate and independent companies from our broker-dealer, National Planning Corporation. Um, And so you should always uh, consult a qualified financial, uh, legal, or tax advisor, or real estate you know, prior to making any decisions. And nobody has a opinion expressed here are our opinions. Um, 
you know, and, and nobody certainly has a crystal ball, but we do rely on the the work, and, and I would say very effectively of the HS Dent group, uh, who does uh, uh, demographics, but nobody's able to forecast the future. Nope. I guess if you really want to do that, you should be follow Steve Jobs' advice. If you want to try to predict the future, help make it. There you go. Help create it. So <laughs> there's a challenge for today. Go out there and seize that one. Yep. So today's show is going to be interesting. I think this is on the hearts and minds of so many people. I hear this in so many different ways from so many different people. Uh, you know, is this market headed for a sell-off, Eric? I mean, there's some compelling points that we're going to make today that that uh, will probably, I know it makes us stop and think about, we're doing it every day. Yep. It's And the main thing is, you know, it's weighing the risk and the reward. It's not going to cash or going all stock. It's what's my risk-reward setup? Is there a lot to risk and not a lot to make potentially? So it's just it's constantly gauging and monitoring it. And if you're somebody without a lot of risk appetite in a market like today, you should be very, very aware of what's going on and what could and couldn't happen. And there are some valuable tools today that we can utilize. And now, you know, between us, 40, 40 years of experience or something, some of the first time I've seen tools like this that cut right to the heart of how somebody feels about their money. If, if I had $10 for every time I heard, hey, I can't afford another downturn like 2008 or 2002 or, one, uh, or 1987, you know, I mean, that'd be a pocket of money I could invest. You know, it's it's not funny, but it is, and they say they can't afford it, and then they go and look at you look do at the their same portfolio. things over and over again. They're doing the same thing, They're, same process, expect different results. So, what are we talking about? They're not looking. Sometimes they get caught up in chasing the returns. They chase the indexes. Mm-hmm. They're looking you for know, those, those fun mistakenly. Numbers. So, if you're gauging your risk, so for example, first of all, on the plus side, when you're looking at returns in the market. I had somebody ask me this one time, said, well, isn't your benchmark the S&P 500? And I said, you mean like somebody who bought 500 stocks? No. Mm-mm. And the S&P 500 is an index you cannot directly invest into, but there's 500 stocks in that index, and it has big companies, little companies, and, and medium-sized companies, and probably is the most comprehensive of the indexes we quote. However, no, that is not my benchmark. If you look at anybody that had a, a risk-adjusted modified portfolio last year, they probably did 5 or 6%. Correct. When the S&P did 12, that's because you were using you know, bonds, you were using cash, you may have been using alternatives. But your, your risk number to buy 100% S&P, uh, these are probably people that we have just, when we meet them, we probably just interrupted them on their way to the airport to go to Vegas. Correct. Or down to the gambling boats. Yeah, down to the boats, Cincinnati. Buying all stocks. Because what goes up? Must come down. So if you're somebody who is 100% stock, well, the S&P 500, that's a good benchmark. But if you are not 500 stocks, guess what? Stop looking at the S&P 500 return and comparing it to yours. Compare yours to something which we're going to talk about today. You know, Get it more in line. Don't keep chasing these returns. So when I think about what are the market metrics and some of the things we're going to cover today, well, first of all, we're going to cover, let's start with the biggest fish in the pond. That's How about the us? The U.S. The U.S., right? We are the biggest consumptive nation in the, in the biggest economy, uh, is a single country. Now, so we should start there, and that's where we will start. We'll start talking about the market, and then, excuse me, we're going to talk about the economics mm-hmm. in the U.S., this underlying the market. And then we're going to go global. 
So then we're going to look at the number two economy in the world, China. We're going to look at number three, Japan, and look at Europe. Now, Europe in and of itself, uh, not by itself, but the Eurozone is comprised of, what, 17, 18 countries in the yep. Eurozone, uh, but soon soon may change. <laughs> Will if change. Greece, if Greece, Greece rotates out or something, we call it the Grexit. Um, you know, when I look at that component, then they're the, the largest trading union, should trading. I say. So we're going to look at both the markets because the disconnect right now that we see between the markets and economics has actually now been going on for years since the crash in 2008. It's a very, very uh, interesting narrative to say that where we don't have more consumption and yet the markets are trading, yesterday it traded at an all-new high. Yeah, and, you know, one of the other things to look at, you know, talking about, you know, what's happened since 08. We're now on a what a seven year bull run that's made over two hundred percent. And if well, you March tenth, March tenth of this year, March the sixth year, the sixth yeah, so you're into the seventh year, and with without a severe correction, without a correction, and we're over two hundred percent since the bottom. If you go back in history in the U.S. and the S and P index, usually those in, those runs last about six years, and they make about sixty percent. We're at two hundred and for 205% um, return yield. We're not saying it's over and we're going to fall and crash tomorrow. It's just looking at the headwinds, which we're going to focus on to say, this is what's on the horizon. This is what could and couldn't happen. So we've got a lot to cover today. And I think uh, stay tuned for this because again, is this market headed for a sell-off? And you're going to catch our, our free giveaway today. Um, and it is in limited in supply. That's right. Get on our Facebook page, Rick Saylor Financial. Visit us on the web, straighttalkcleardecisions.com. And like Rick mentioned earlier, if you want to ask us a live question, give us a call, 866-472-5790. And we're more than happy to uh, address your question at the end of the show today. A lot of things we have available for the folks to tap in. Uh, tweet us a question. Again, go to info at straighttalkcleardecisions.com. Send us a question. We'll answer it in the last segment. Or you can call in live, and our technician will direct you, 866-472-5790. Again, 866-472-5790. And uh, we'll answer that question on the air. You go to our website, and as you were mentioning, you can sign up for the free e-newsletter, which has something for everybody. Yep. We have a view that's written every week that's pertinent to the market which changes, and uh, we write that. Uh, then we have the headlines. Then we have a recipe of the week, philosophical quote. We love philosophy. Uh, gives color to the life. That's right. You know, uh, We like golf. We've got, we've got golf a— Golf tip, green tip, health tip. And our speaking schedule. And our speaking schedule. So stay tuned again for Is This Market Headed? For a sell-off, we'll be addressing that in the next part of our uh, segment, the second segment of the show. You're listening to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions Radio Show with your no-nonsense host, Rick Saylor. And Eric Hamburg. Rick Saylor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Money is an awesome thing. If you know how to handle it, the joy it brings. Hey, what about estate planning? An up-to-date will guarantees you're going to go through probate. And without, well, don't worry about it. The government will decide for you. 
The three enemies to an estate today are number one, the federal inheritance tax, two, probate, and number three, income tax. So your choices here are you can give all your money away. That might not be any fun. You may need it. Or you can create a trust to hold those assets. And remember, you don't have to own the assets to enjoy the benefits. So a revocable living trust can help avoid the expenses and costly delays of probate, and along with a living will, power of attorney, durable health care power of attorney. So be sure and ask about our attorney partners today for a free consultation. Vic Sailor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. Money is an awesome thing. If you know how to handle it, the joy it brings. Hey, have you heard about the new long-term care alternatives? Many of you may know how I managed my mother's care, and I took her through her money in the spend down into the veterans' benefits. My father was a two-time Korean War vet and right into the Medicaid. She started out at $2,700 a month in assisted living, and at the end of her life, two years later, it was over 8000 The three concerns I hear the most about long-term care insurance protection is that it's expensive, the premiums are rising, and I may never use it. Well, why don't you try what I did? I bought a life insurance long-term care. They can't cancel me. The premiums can never go up. And, oh, yeah, I can spend that death benefit before I die if I'm critically, chronically, or terminally ill. Be sure and ask your advisor today. Rick Sailor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Money is an awesome thing If you know how to handle it, the joy it brings You're listening to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions radio show with your nonsense host, Rick Saylor. And Eric Amberg. So, Eric, we're uh, going to address a pretty big topic. It's, uh, it seems to be, I don't know if it's really being talked about. Everybody likes this idea, and it's kind of reminiscent of in the past. Where, you know, it's uh, we start getting this idea that, hey, the market only goes up. It only goes one direction. And I think we're going to maybe address some of that, that the warning signs, as we would say, uh, that are that are really saying that maybe we're in for a pullback, mm-hmm. possibly. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the most important things in planning and wealth accumulation is don't take those big losses. You know, getting... Uh, it's like the Cincinnati Reds the other night playing up in Milwaukee. Absolutely no defense. I mean, I saw three grand slams and four home runs, five home runs in one game. Final score was 16 to 10. So we saw, saw the Reds hit a, a grand slam, and then we turn around, and, and uh, Milwaukee comes in and hits one, and then uh, Todd Frazier from the, hits another one, and I leave the, you know, the BW3s nearest, and, and the score's... Uh, eight to four, and I'm thinking, okay. And my buddy, uh, Dave Armbruster, I said, what do you think? He goes, this isn't over. And I wake up the next morning, 16 to 10. <laughs> it was. So, I mean, it's, those are exciting. And it's exciting in the market when the markets go up. What happens, you know, again, don't lose money when, when the market goes down. Yep. Don't lose as much. Can't guarantee against losses, but have to have a better process than you had last time, a better, different approach. So let's toss some things out here. You know, we talk about something, the, the price-to-earnings ratio, or also known as P.E., 
Now, in our industry speak, that means price of a stock versus the earnings that it spins off, and that's a ratio that comes out there and determines that. So when you, the higher the number, it's implied that that is a less value buy at this. It's not be a buy. And certain sectors have different average PEs. So like technology and healthcare, they have higher PEs than like a, a P&G or a GE that's more of a it's blue consumers. chip. Correct. Consumers. So, for example, a recent report showed that the S&P 500 is somewhere around 19 or 20 on the P.E. ratio. Now, that's kind of high, but it's not, let's say, absurdly out of line. Now, if you look at this other view that we look at that more lay people are not familiar with, it's called the cape, you know, like a Batman cape, cyclically adjusted price-to-earnings ratio. So when you look at that, recent numbers had that over 27, 27.2. Now, that is high. And, if you, and there's only two periods of time, Eric, when the market, when we look back in history, there were only two times that the CAPE, cyclic adjusted price earnings ratio, was as high as, and what were those two years? 1929 and 2007. What has the biggest sell-offs at 82, 83% in 29, and then a 50% sell-off in 2008. So these are not, these are the warning signs that we think investors should be paying attention to. Now, there's some other supporting data within the market that continues to show that the economics don't support a market trading at this level. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when we look at history, our economy, 70% of it is something that is driven off of consumption. Consumptive-type spending. I just got the new number, um, consumption. It's 60 from – this is from J.P. Morgan. 68.5% in the uh, end of 2014 was based on consumption, consumer spending in the United States. It's a high factor, isn't it? Yep, very, very high. So now, the question I'd be asking is are we consuming more stuff? Are we buying more stuff? And the answer is? Not to the level. Nowhere we near the levels, right, that we were in the last rise of the market in the 2000s. And you look at something called demographics, and really simply, you look at the largest group of peak spenders in our economy or in any economy. So in the United States, it's 46-year-olds, just to keep the narrative simple. So the more 46-year-olds you have, the more peak consumptive spending, and the number one and number two drivers, if we've heard from several people, building and buying cars. So let's look at the baby boom generation. And we broaden that definition because if you look on a chart, it's almost straight up when you look at people born between 1932 and 1961, and then into 60 kind of flattens out and plateaus. Now, there's some, some analysis that's been done on that. We could, there's a free report going on our website and ask for the, is it the long winter season by the HS Dent Group? Yes. Um, and you can request that, and as long as we have supplies, we'll send that to you. Mm -hmm. uh, but a great read, short read, but it gives you the concept of what's going on here. Now, here's what we see. If you take that demographic group, lay it down like a train, the engine of the train is turning 83 this year, and the caboose is turning 51. So it tells me the train left the station five years ago, and if you look at that cycle, we are five more years till we bottom out here in the United States. And then we see an uptick about 2020 when your generation, the millennials, and there's 80 million, start turning 46 again. That's right. And we're here 
problem is you can't expedite us getting to our peak. Can't move forward, right? Not yet, at least. And you don't make 46 year olds. <laughs> That's right. Right. So when we look at that aspect, we have to ask ourselves, why is the stock market trading at an all-time high if we've been losing peak consumptive spenders in the biggest economy in the world for the last five years? Why and how is that happening? Well, stimulus. Yep. We went into crisis mode and uh, in last, what, 2008. And since then, we have printed mass. We went to zero interest rate policy. I mean, I think there's three things a, a, the government can do, and they've done all three of them yep. here in the U.S. They're running out of tricks. There's no more rabbits in that hat. <laughs> you can lower interest rates. That's supposed to grease the wheels, make money more cheaper. Everybody goes out and, of course, buys a, another house, bigger house. Um, oh, not you, really happening, you, right? You didn't do that either? No. <laughs> so I did buy a second house. But uh, that was just timing. I'm moving in that demographic mode where I'm buying a vacation. But I think that brings up a good point. When you bought a second house, guess what? You didn't build that second house. No, I bought it. Why did you buy it? One of the reasons you wanted to enjoy it, that's your generation. But the other reason, interest rates was at a basically at an all-time low for you. That surface is crazy low, so, crazy slow. And that's one of the things the Fed tried to do is make these interest rates so cheap that everybody would just go out and keep buying. And it's not happening on a scale that will drive our economy you know, because the, the cycle looks like this. Somebody buys it. Consumption happens. Somebody has to build it. That company, they're more profitable. Their stock rises. And then as that whole wave happens, the whole tide's rising. Yep. Now, what's missing in the equation? We don't have that level of consumption. So if the narrative starts here in the United States, would I expect it to be any different globally where we import a lot of stuff? And the answer is... No, that's why they're continuing to languish. The number two economy, China, will address. Japan, the number three, and then the Eurozone. All of those are affected by what happens here in the United States. So when I begin to look at the things that are happening, the first thing I look at is this market, essentially, Eric, is overvalued. And, and we've not had a significant pullback on the longest bull market run in the S&P 500 for the, over the last six years. And everybody's wondering – when is this going to happen? If you go back, is to, it going to happen? And when is it going to happen? And how big is it going to be? If you go back to 2003, we've only had one negative year in the S and P, and that was in 2008. We're not, you know, as much as people like these these big positive returns year after year, it's not going to happen every single year. The problem is nobody has a crystal ball. We don't know when that year is coming. Is it this year, 2015? Is it 2016? Is it a 10 percent sell off? Is it a 5 percent sell off? So our job here is not to time this thing perfectly. Our job is to show you the risks that possibly lie ahead. Yes, yeah, so look at the best. We're always searching and sifting every day uh, throughout the day to find the best risk-reward setup. Setup, Right? So let's look at some, some economics as we've talked about the market overall. Uh, you know, so now the market edged up to all-time highs yesterday. I look at this is earnings season. So we were a little concerned, not just us, but the rest of the entire market was wondering, how are the earnings going to look? Well, the best we can say is they're okay. And one of the, one of the big questions- They're why, just okay. That's right. Is why they were, wor not necessarily, but they were focused on earnings is, we'll touch on it later, our dollar got very, very strong pretty quickly, and it's weighing on a lot of these big multinational companies, their profits with the currency exchange. But here's what we're finding. Like, for example, the first one out of the gate, I think, was uh, 
was American Airlines a week and a half, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they came out. It was interesting. Their earnings were up, but their revenues were down. Now, look at, you know, nobody's really enjoyed this. I mean, we've gotten some benefit out of this drop in oil. It goes from 100 to 40. The negative impacts are now trading low, high 50s, near like 60. 57. So, you know, probably the best price on oil is probably about $70 a barrel where people aren't losing jobs and things aren't slowing down, you know, because we're certainly not seeing it at the pumps. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what everybody talks about, and they ask us on a regular basis. How come oil drops and gas comes down really, really, really slow? But as soon as there's like, hey, there's some bad news, boy, it shoots up overnight. Uh, so this is just human nature. It's opportunist. And, uh, you know, if you want to get even, you know, buy an oil stock. You know, get in, invest in the oil industry somewhere yep. where it's – and that's not, not a recommendation. Uh, but, you know, in fact, we like – we're looking at this saying, look at – on that energy point, we are producing with the fracking and the output from the Saudis. And, of course, the United States is the new Saudi Arabia. You know, it's already there. It's not a question of is it there. We know it's there. It's a question of how are we going to get to it. Yep. Now, right now, today, we have more oil, the highest level of oil supply that we've ever had in the history of the world and in the history of our country. And yet we continue, the market continues to have output that's what? Is it three, three, three million barrels a day? Three million a day, correct. One to two, and they're talking about this still gets done with Iran. That's going to add another one to two million barrels a day. Per day. Into an already oil glut. Yep. So that's that's interesting. So, you know, we're seeing what we focused on. You, there's opportunities and perils in every market. Not advice, but just be thinking, hey, where are you going to store that stuff? If you're not selling it and you're not refining it, because mm-hmm. the refinery shut down. I just saw where they had a big output. But the supply is from a gasoline side is a little low. But we're looking at storage. There's a uh, distribution point out in Cushing, Oklahoma, for the WTI futures on oil or gasoline. Is it oil? It's oil. It's oil. And they, a couple of weeks ago, they were at 67% capacity. So you got to be wondering, where are they going to store that stuff? you got to store it. It won't, it won't just hover. Yep. You only have a certain amount of tankers that can hold a certain amount of, you know, gasoline in the middle of the ocean. And you know uh, that's got to be going up. It's got to be driving demand. There again, that's my point. Look at demand. Natural gas, same thing. Yep. 100-year highs. What are you going to do with all that stuff? You know, so maybe the, uh, you know, the, the gas, natural gas-powered vehicle is going to come in and lower some of those emission gases and transition over. Because I don't know if the, I don't know if I like the idea of a solar panel driving my car, powering my car. We drive too fast to let and, that happen and, and the wind mills. keep up with us. We don't get enough wind here. <laughs> the other day it was windy. I think I could have drove anywhere on that. <laughs> Told somebody I forgot to bring my kite. But, um, you know, these are just things when we look at the narrative, you know, and I'm looking at economics. Now, here's a couple other things. You know, we're seeing this not just here, but this, again, with the earnings. We're seeing some weak – we track something called several factors. We look at the – uh, manufacturer PMIs, and they have something called the flash report. Well, we just saw today that China's flash report PMI, which measures at 50, 
If you're above 50, it's expansion. Below that is contraction. Yep. So, 50 so that's a break point. China's flash manufacturing report was estimated to be 49.6. It came in at 49.2. Now, not egregious, but trending down. Correct. Now it's under 50. It's the first time I think we've seen it or recently break 50. Yep. Remember, China's trying to focus on that 7% GDP. And if they keep showing these, these numbers that report below 50, you know, that's one of the big scares about China is can they really keep up a 7% GDP if they keep showing these, you know, these um, recessionary numbers? So now let's talk. I should start with the U.S. since they're the biggest economy. The U.S. flash April manufacturing PMI in the U.S. was expected to be 56. It came in at 54.2. Now that still indicates expansion. So we're seeing moderation, not recession. And again, not a guarantee on that, but... Now we look at the European market, the EMU, their flash manufacturing PMI was estimated to be 54.4 and came at at 53.5. So Eric, what what, what do you see here? You know, what we've been talking about for a while, we don't see this robust growth happening. We see, you know, in the U.S. is very slow, methodical growth, and we're seeing that. However, you know, with Europe and U.S. above 50, that's a positive. You got to see that. The problem is they came backwards from what the estimates were. They both came in underneath what the analysts and Wall Street was expecting them. And when you look at China reporting a number below 50, again, showing a um, not an expanding economy, this has to be something because Chinese GDP has been the the one stellar point these last few years. And it's been slowly – I should say not slowly. It's been pretty rapidly decelerating coming back down to a 7% growth, and that's the question. Can and you, they? And you had, a, you had an interesting point. We were looking at J.P. Morgan's. There's a report we get there on Insights. It was talking about what's happened in the trend of the market of the S&P. We typically see, if you go back to what, 1958, and look at any six-year rolling period yep. since 1958, any rolling period of six years did not exceed about 54%. In return. I think it was like, yeah, 53.4. Right? And, the, and this market has been 205, 205%. Through March of 2015. So if you, if you bought and held the S&P 500, congratulations. You have just absolutely crushed it. Yep. You look like the Reds in Milwaukee. The first three games. <laughs> it's 16 <laughs> to 10. Now, the question is, is when is a wise time to start pulling money maybe off the table because winnings aren't winnings unless you realize so you pull that. them off the table. And you know what happens if you stay in the house long enough, the Thank house you. wins. Yep. So, and this is not our game by any means. We're starting to see macro headwinds, which we'll be talking about in the next segment of the show. Looking at the Chinese market, the Japanese and the European market, but I got to tell you the Chinese, you know, market has become a, a near-term leading indicator here. Mm-hmm. And we better watch this really closely. I mean, the market's been resilient, but there is coming a point, as is happening in the United States, where bad news is not good news. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, what's happened in a, a, uh, a paranormal market, which is the name of my class, right? Yep. Because these are paranormal. It's not the typical of what we see. That when bad news came along, we knew the Fed was going to stimulate. Well, we're to the end of the line on that. They're talking about raising interest rates, and that is the last chip. That's the last thing they got to go. 
Um, and I'm looking at China, and we're starting to see data feeds that say there will be a starting point where the bad news won't be good news for that stock either. Yep. So we need to pay attention to that, and we'll be looking at that in the next segment here of our show. And cover kind of go around the globe. Yep. Remember, go to our Facebook page, Rick Saylor Financial, or on Twitter, at Rick Tireman, R-I-K-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T. Um, shoot us an email if you have any questions, info at straighttalkcleardecisions.com. Or, again, if you want to a- uh, ask us a live question on the air, give us a call at 866-472-5790. You're listening to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions radio show with your transparent wealth management host, Rick Saylor and Eric Hamburger. Rick Saylor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Money is an awesome thing If you know how to handle it, the joy it brings Hey, have you heard about the new long-term care alternatives? Many of you may know how I managed my mother's care and I took her through her money in the spend-down into the veterans' benefits. My father was a two-time Korean War vet and right into the Medicaid. She started out at $2,700 a month in assisted living and at the end of her life, two years later, it was over 8000 The three concerns I hear the most about long-term care insurance protection is that it's expensive, the premiums are rising, and I may never use it. Well, why don't you try what I did? I bought a life insurance long-term care. They can't cancel me. The premiums can never go up. And, oh, yeah, I can spend that death benefit before I die if I'm critically, chronically, or terminally ill. Be sure and ask your advisor today. Rick Saylor, smooth financial sailing for the best part of your life. Money is an awesome thing if you know how to handle it, the joy it brings. Hey, what about estate planning? An up-to-date will guarantees you're going to go through probate, and without, well, don't worry about it, the government will decide for you. The three enemies to an estate today are, number one, the federal inheritance tax, two, probate, and number three, income tax. So your choices here are you can give all your money away. That might not be any fun. You may need it. Or you can create a trust to hold those assets. And remember, you don't have to own the assets to enjoy the benefits. So a revocable living trust can help avoid the expenses and costly delays of probate, and along with a living will, power of attorney, durable health care power of attorney. So be sure and ask about our attorney partners today for a free consultation. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network money is an awesome thing if you know how to handle it the joy it brings you're listening to the straight talk clear decisions radio show with rick sailor and eric hamburg well welcome back to the show this is uh we're on a topic here that's pretty hot is this market headed for a sell-off eric and I think we've gave some pretty compelling points as we started in the U.S. We said, look, we're in this slow growth mode. We essentially are coming out of a 1930s kind of scenario or in that kind of scenario just with a lot of new stimulus tools. 
And uh, yeah, that's we've accumulated $18 trillion in debt. Uh, but you know, I got to say on the positive side of that, we did not see a 1929 sell-off. That was scary. Yep. 83% would have been scary. You know, but it didn't stop a 50% sell-off in 2008. Yeah. 51. You know, so those numbers are, you know, should be concerning, right, and disconcerting. Just we look at the U.S. and say, okay, our market stands at a cyclically adjusted price-to-earnings ratio of over 27. And it only compares to two periods of time in history in 1929 and 2007, which preceded those two sell-offs. Now, as we start to move around the globe, we talked about the economics here. And as we, we talked a little bit about, but we'll move into China, Japan, and Europe, here's what we saw is that uh, out of Europe, we saw that the EMU, which is the European uh, market, really the downturn came from Germany and France. Now, outside of those two countries, activity was what at a month, multi-month high, which speaks well for those countries like Ireland, Spain, and Italy. Mm-hmm. Now, there's something there. There's an acronym they use called the PIGS, which stands for Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, and Spain. So that's pretty good in terms of some of the PIGS. Should be disconcerting that Germany and France missed. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the some of that has to do with Germany has been that. Um, they've been the backbone. They've been the backbone. and They know, are the backbone of the European Just Union. like the U.S., they can only be strong for a certain amount of time question is we don't know when they're going to be able to when they're going to break and you know they've been supporting the european union for almost four or five years now and now you have all these issues with greece you've got these other countries that um aren't necessarily holding their own and it's putting more pressure on germany and france to really start to try to pull them out and the question is can they do they have i think i think these are symptoms of a of a bigger problem potentially when we look and say okay look the united states is moderating slowing you know, uh, and 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 largely because we we're dialing back on our sti- our massive stimulus. You know, we as we begin to talk about a a uh, you know higher interest rate here to tighten the supply of money, which is eventually. I mean, you look at what the Fed usually lends money out of the out of the Fed window. The Fed rate they call it is four and a half percent at a historical standpoint. You know, we're at point one two. Point two five. I mean, it's never been this low. So what we're seeing around the world, when a country begins to print lower interest rates and they print currency into their system, like Japan, like China, like the US, United States, and now Europe, it's created some rise in their stocks. Now, what it does initially is it, it cheapens your currency. It's called debasing your currency. Gives you an export advantage just on the currency exchange alone. So this was this is a little troubling to me that I'm in France because has Germany now experienced the benefit of that? But again, you don't have consumption there. Where are you going to sell your stuff? Yep. Why would you build stuff that people aren't buying? And I think I think one of the one of the make sense would it? It wouldn't make sense. And what you look at, you know, we talk about Germany because they're the U.S. of of Europe. If you look at Germans' ten year, they call it their ten year bond. Should be compared very similar to our U.S. our ten-year U.S. Treasury, and those yields should be trading in very close pattern. Well, in the U.S., our ten years like one point nine two percent. You know what that German ten-year bond is? Point zero nine. That's crazy. So you have their strong their strong man or woman over there, and they're only paying point oh 
1.9 and you look at the U.S. as 1.92, the question is if people aren't buying Germans, Germans uh, government bonds, how can they afford to keep printing you know, 65 billion U.S. dollars? You know, that's the equivalent to what they're printing right now. It's um, That should be, again, a, another warning sign. Germany is way off the beaten path when it comes to their, their bond market, and it's something to pay attention to. I just thought of something humorous. You know, in Europe, they call their uh, their mom. We call them mom. They call them their mom. Mm -hmm. Has your mom got anything to do with a bond? No? No. No connection whatsoever. No, nope, not at all. Just not curious. This, not this time. <laughs> That's for our global European friends. Yeah, I just had to get one in there for you. So I look at, again, we're looking at China, and we're seeing a, a contraction. We've already heard the narrative there is that you know, it, it – they're hitting headwinds, and they're going to, it's going to be challenging for them to maintain a GDP output, gross domestic product, of 7%. And certainly, again, I think that narrative follows that they don't, their, their number one export destination is the United States, and we're not, we're not expanding nope. you know, massively. Uh, and yet the stock market continues to overtrade. As sectors we've seen, one of the interesting things in China, by the way, and you, Eric, you can speak to this. So the Chinese market is essentially you had to be in China to invest in the stocks. So that meant if you're not Chinese, you're not investing in that market. And then something happened in November of last year in 2014 yep. that uh, that in Hong Kong, there's a connection between Hong Kong and China, which now opens the ability to directly uh, to invest, should say, in the Chinese stocks. Correct, and that's important because it was in November of 2014. They call it the link, which basically it linked the Hong Kong Stock Exchange to the Shanghai, the Chinese Stock Exchange. And like Rick just mentioned before, unless you unless you lived in China, you could not invest in their um, their economy. Yeah, you can buy U.S. ETF based Chinese uh, investments, but it's not pure China. So when that opened in you know last year, 2014, what that did, on top of Bank of Japan printing money and stimulating their economy, now they just let basically a very big chunk of the world now invest directly in that economy through the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So what did that do? That you know their their uh, government printed money, gave access to cheap capital, and it also let the rest of the world kind of jump in on this stimulus-driven train that we saw in the U.S. It's not because they're fundamentally better in J Japan, but it was like Rick, Rick mentioned earlier, bad news was good news. As more bad news came out in China these, this last year, and now you got more people access to that stock market, of course you're going to run that bubble up, and that's what's happened. But uh, you know, one of the big, the big you know, uh, what am I looking for here, beneficiaries was that link that was established between the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and the Shanghai Stock Exchange. So that's one of the big factors of why the Chinese market has done pretty pretty remarkable job these last few years. Here's one of the things I just saw that uh, came across here while we were sitting here talking. And if you're familiar with the Motley Fool, you go to MotleyFool.com, uh, their note is warning market correction already underway. And they started out by saying, dumb, dumb, dumb. And they're talking about some of these warning signals. So if you want another source to look at, that certainly is one to, uh, to consider. Um, you know, one of the things that, again, as we stay on this narrative of looking at the global economy and contraction, so we're addressing China here and kind of some of the things we're seeing, again, are supporting what we're seeing here in the United States, that we're seeing less 
because they, they really don't have any place to sell these goods, and they're still heavily reliant upon the United States to be the leader in the world uh, to create the consumption cycle again. We're not really seeing that. So when I look at Japan, so Japan is now finally starting to see signs of inflation after 24 years. And really the ones who wrote the book on stimulus. Finally, in Europe, uh, again, we've kind of addressed this with them. But I think the one that we finished on before we go to our Q&A session is, you know, there's some concern and we hear a lot of questions about what kind of contagion is are we going to see in the European Common Union from, uh, you know, Greece? Because Greece is certainly the problem child. They're, they're, they're that teenager. You know, I don't care that I'm spending more money than I got. Just here, can you give me more money? That's what I need. Just give me more money. So we know the most recent number here, they had a date. Was it uh, April 24th is today? Correct. Was their deadline. And, for the, and they're looking at the ELA, the Emergency Liquidity Assistance. You know, and, and there's several scenarios here quickly when we're not predicting here by any means. The first one is Greece could just run out of money in default. And we could see a bit of a panic. Mm -hmm. The second one is the ECB stays engaged with them and continues to open up the ELA and, and lend them money. The third, Greece keeps negotiating and issues IOUs. Now, I don't think it's likely. We're not seeing feeds that we'll see a Grexit where Greek is exiting because it would be absolutely devastating to their economy overnight, mm -hmm. in our opinion. But again, it is a possibility, and it's it's an uncertainty because we're and that could be the triggering event, you know. And I'm going to lead this. I'm going to use that to lead right into our question and answer. So, one of the questions that seems to come out a lot when we're doing public speaking and everything else is what's going to be the trigger. Well, this could be the trigger, and the second one is is what do you see as a sell off? Is it would not be out of the question to see something that's in a ten fifteen. And in an extreme case, a 20% sell-off. Yep. And if you go back in history, a 10, 12, 15%, we call it an intra-year sell-off, meaning at some point throughout the year, 10 to 15%, it's very common. problem is we just haven't seen it in the last few years, so it's kind of abnormal. But in reality, when you look at it, these corrections, they offer opportunities. If you don't ever get a correction, there's opportunities, and we're not saying they're not there, but you don't feel as comfortable buying in if you can't buy in at a good point or a good price and Greece could be one of these um, curve balls that allows that to happen. It might, it's not going to be friendly right away, more than likely, if that happens. But again, it's taking your gut, taking your stomach out of the equation. Look at the, look at the fundamentals. Look at the hard numbers and say, this really can or can't happen. So the other one that's come up is interest rates and the impact of bonds, because we know when interest rates up, bonds go down. And we really call this a, a dysfunctional diversification paranormal market component because – we actually could see something, Eric, where interest rates go up, bond yields go down, and stocks come down at the same time. And people say, where are you going to go? Well, you got stocks, bonds, cash, you got alternatives. We use a lot of alternatives. And if you've got questions on that, you certainly can call us and get or go to our website and visit some of that. Our free giveaway to the first 10 callers by contact or whatever is a financial organizer. It's $150 value. It's leather-bound. It's got a glossary in it, an organizer. So to the first 10 contacts from us, either by email or by calling, let's give the number 513-454-9999.
we'll give to the first 10 contacts a free financial uh, leather-bound uh, organizer. Or if you're on social media, you can do it via Facebook um, as well as Twitter. So go in there, check us out, ask for the free organizer. Um, it's very, very beneficial. Hopefully this has been helpful, Eric. I know we never have enough time to cover this. But you have been listening to the Straight Talk Clear Decisions radio show with your transparent wealth management host, Rick Saylor. And Eric Hamburg. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management